inaugurate this show with, uh, um, not inaugurate the show, start off the show with just a, a quick shout out to uh, Remax Alliance. Remax Alliance, they are the best in selling homes in Colorado. They're the, the sponsor of this show. Go to them. If you want to buy homes, you want to sell your home, they're the number one in, in um, Colorado. They will do it for you. The people there are amazing. They're, out, they're outstanding, incredible people. I know them personally, and some of them are my best friends. And so please go to homesincolorado.com. That's homesincolorado.com. Uh, you want to buy or sell a home, they're the people to go to. REMAX Alliance. Thank you, REMAX. And I also want to thank KUHS Denver for hosting me on this sh- uh, in this studio and being le- uh, giving me the opportunity to broadcast to not only here in Colorado and Los Angeles and uh, around the nation, but all over the world. Uh, we are having people tuning in from uh, Scotland right now and Canada, Poland. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, Turkey and Ukraine. And good afternoon. Uh, we are live now on the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello. And uh, we are about to begin an amazing show. And just want to quickly announce on this camera here that the sponsors of our show, uh, which is Remax Alliance. Remax Alliance. You want to buy a home, go to www.homesincolorado.com. That's homesincolorado.com. They are the best. I know them. Uh, go there if you want to buy a home or sell a home. So Remax Alliance, thank you very much for being here. Uh, we are going to focus today on the Native American traditions. Um, one of the stories that I was raised with as a child growing up here was that uh, on my father's side, my mother's uh, grandmother, uh, that we had uh, Cherokee blood. That one of my ancestors was uh, the people who walked the Trail of Tears. And it's always been a part of me. There's always been something that I've been really connected to the land and connected to the air and connected to the sky and connected to the things that surrounded me. It was, uh, I don't know what it was, but it was something in my blood. And, you know, the indigenous tribes, they have a lot of wisdom that uh, were wiped out as a, as a consequence of the, you know, the colonists coming in and carrying a doctrine that uh, was about, uh, you know, controlling and subduing the land and, and, and forcing people to go away from their traditions and to, to adopt uh, what they felt was a, a better way. And uh, we lost a lot of those, that, the, those wisdoms and those feelings of being connected to the land. These people were displaced. They were sent away. They were annihilated. There was conflict. There was wars. There was uh, a lot of pain as, as tribes that were in their homelands. That was, this was their native land. That they were forced to move into areas uh, that, they, that wasn't their home and to start over and to really um, try to adapt to something that was foreign to them and they had to rely upon each other. I think some statistics say that uh, when the colonists first came to this country, there was about 12 million uh, native inhabitants here and um, it dwindled down to something like 250,000 and it was a mass genocide. Some of the things that, uh, some of the most horrible things to, we have ever done to people are the natives and, and uh, uh, and we've been very, very callous about it. We've kind of avoided it. We've not really paid attention to it. And, uh, you know, there, of course, there was germs and diseases, but uh, there was also a lot of broken promises, broken promises that the, uh, the U.S. government made to the, the natives 
uh, the Native Americans that they, we didn't uphold. And so there is a need uh, as we come into a new, a new world to bring back these ancient and traditions and understandings. They have a wisdom and they understand the land better than we do. One of the things that I, that, uh, I know came across, and this was because of uh, my, my guest tonight today, uh, is this amazing book called Braiding Sweetgrass. Braiding Sweetgrass, and it's about the indigenous wisdom, scientific knowledge, and the teachings of plants. And I've just had an opportunity to read just a few of the stories and the chapters, and it's absolutely amazing. And the, the wisdom keepers, the, the, the knowledge keepers of these, these ancient uh, inhabitants here who stayed the course and were able to keep a language. Only nine people of the Patawatomi Indians who kept the language, and they're the, the, the language keepers and keeping the history. It's a language that's alive. It's animated. It's, it's not cold like English where we just say something is an object. That's a bay. You know, and that's no, they say it to be a bay. The bay is alive because the water is alive. It's it's coalescing. It keeps everything moving. And even their creation stories are different. Uh, they speak of a creation story of the sky woman who falls from the sky, from heaven, essentially called falling from heaven. And she's holding on to this bundle from the tree of life. And she's falling and falling. And it's a, it's a long fall. And she comes down and she, all that she sees is darkness, and, and, and at the bottom is this water, and, and she, she's scared, and she's fearful, and all of a sudden the animals come, that the, 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 the water animals, the geese, and they stop her from falling, and they give her some, a, a place to stay, and then all the animals come together, and they ask, well, what can we do for this woman, the sky woman, and they start talking, and they, the turtle gives her a place to stand, and then all the animals say, well, she needs mud, she needs earth. And so they dive to the center of the planet. And some of them can't get it. The otters, the fish, and other animals aren't able to get this mud that she needs. And so this muskrat goes all the way down, the weakest of them all, and sacrifices his life, gives up his life, but he comes back up with the mud. And on with this mud, and she sees that the animals are there to help her, and she lays this mud out that she builds, she gives all the land everywhere. And it turns into Turtle Island, which is what America is, was known to the, the Native American tribes. And flourished it with trees and plants and animals and everything that was good. And that was, and it was because of this, this reciprocity, this interconnectedness of life, that the Natives really respected the, the, the land and, the, and the, all the beings on it. Whereas the creation story that many of us come from, the Judeo-Christian side, it was Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden, and Eve uh, takes the, from, because the serpent uh, convinces her to take the, the, the apple from the tree of life, or the, the tree of knowledge, and she grabs it and eats it and, be, and becomes aware of the knowledge between good and evil, uh, the opposites, duality. And because of that transgression, uh, God kicks Eve and Adam out, and they are forced to work and cultivate the land and subdue it. And so it comes from a very different understanding, very different creation stories that, lets, that leads to a lot of the philosophies and understandings of how we should be in the world. And so it's one of the things we're going to talk about today. And 
because I have such a, a love of, of the Native American tradition, I just want to bring in some, some of their wisdom right now. And this comes from uh, Tecumseh. And he says, So live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Trouble no man about his religion. Respect him his views and demand that he respect yours. Love your life. Perfect your life. Beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and of service to your people. Show respect to all men, but grovel to none. When you arise in the morning, give thanks for the morning light, for your life and strength. Give thanks for your food and the joy of living. If you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault lies with yourself. These are profound wisdoms that the Native Americans passed on to us. And they have a medicine wheel just north of here in Colorado, in Wyoming. It's called Medicine Mountain. And it's 9,642 feet um, atop of this Medicine Mountain. There is a medicine wheel, and it dates back about 1,500 years. It's about 1,500 years old, and it speaks to the knowledge of, and wisdom of the Native people who lived there long ago. There's 28 spokes of limestone boulders in the wheel which allude to the 28 days of the lunar cycle. There's also seven stone formations in and around this wheel, which must surely be tied to the indigenous teachings of the seven directions, the seven sacred directions, east, west, north, south, mother earth, father sky, and the sacred center. It shows their intimate connection that they had with the universe. And from this deep grounding has come all kinds of ancient wisdom that has allowed for them to thrive. And some of the code of ethics that the Native Americans have are, are, are things that we could all adopt. We could all imbue in our own lives. It would augment our lives to appreciate the land and appreciate the earth and return us to a, this harmony that we so desperately need in our world. Here are just a few of the Native code of ethics. Rise with the sun, pray alone, pray often. The great spirit will listen if you only speak. Be tolerant of those who have lost their faith, who are on their path, who have lost their path in ignorance and conceit and anger and jealousy and greed. All this stems from a lost soul. Pray that they will find guidance. Search for yourself by yourself. Do not allow others to make your path for you. It is your road and your road alone. Others may walk it with you, but no one can walk it for you. Do not take what is not yours, whether from a person or a community, the wilderness or from a culture. If it was not earned or given, it is not yours. Respect all things on this planet that are placed upon the earth whether it be peoples or plant. Honor other people's thoughts and words and, and, and wishes. Never interrupt another or mock or, rude him, uh, or rudely mimic him. Allow each person the right to personal expression. Never speak bad of others in a bad way. 
This negative energy that you put out into the universe will multiply when it returns to you. All persons make mistakes, and all mistakes can be forgiven. Bad thoughts cause illness of the mind, body, and spirit. Practice optimism. And here's one that's really important. Nature is not for us. It is a part of us. It is a part of our worldly family. And others are avoid hurting the hearts of others. The poison of your pain will return to you. Be truthful at all times. Honesty is the test of one's will within this universe. And keep yourself balanced. Keep yourself, your mental self, your spiritual self, your emotional self, and your physical self. Keep that strong and pure and healthy. And work out the body to strengthen the mind. Grow rich in spirit to cure all emotional ills. And be true to yourself first. You cannot nurture and help others if you cannot nurture and help yourself first. And lastly, respect others' religious beliefs. Do not force your beliefs onto others. These are the wisdom, the Native American ethics that are so important. And as we go on to my, my guest here today, it is so important that this wisdom that we carry of returning to the earth, that we remember that all of us are interconnected. And it's a natural reciprocity for all beings to connect, to live in harmony, and to be at peace. My very special guest here today is, uh, I've known Miguel for a very long time, and uh, we've go way back, <laughs> about four years, we'll go about four years, and uh, he is a member of the board of directors of the Western Gates and Wings Foundation, um, and a professional musician and an expert in the ceremonies and healing traditions of the Native Americans. Uh, please welcome everybody, Miguel Rivera. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Thank you, Charlie, for having me on. Oh, it's a delight, Miguel. Are you kidding me? My, I, I've known Miguel uh, when I was in, uh, going through my, my, my healing process from my, my, the PTSD that I experienced. Miguel was one of the first people that I met along that journey, and he introduced me to these Native traditions. And uh, before we get into it, uh, Miguel, can you just tell the audience a little bit about your background and uh, how you came into and got involved with uh, with the native practices and, and native traditions. Uh, this is a kind of a long story, but I'll give it a, a, a brief, <laughs> condensed condensed version for you. But I was born in Guatemala, raised in Guatemala. My father was a surgeon. My mother was a nurse. She was from the United States. They met in an operating room in Jersey City in 1948. My father did not want to live in the United States, so he returned to Guatemala. And that's where I grew up basically in the backs of hospitals and going around watching surgeries since I was a little kid. When I came to the United States in 66, I went to work my last two years of high school. I went to work as an orderly in an emergency room, trying to follow in the footsteps of my father. And then after two years of working in a hospital, I realized maybe there's a different way of doing this. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So I went to school and got a, started studying anthropology, music, film, and eventually ended up being a professional musician. So I was working in L.A. as a studio musician in 1979 or so, and uh, I got a call from a friend of mine. said, hey, man, this is how I used to talk. I got these girls in the studio here. We need some congas and a track, so come on over. Mm -hmm. 
So I ended up playing on these Native American chants, and it was really interesting. So I got invited to go hang out with the guy, one of the guys. At the time, they were boyfriend and girlfriend. They're now man and wife. But he was—he wrote a very popular book in the 1970s called uh, Bro, uh, Seven Arrows. And so I used to give Chuck Storm conga lessons. So that's how I got introduced to Native Americans. And so he invited me to tool around. I, I would give him conga lessons, and then he, we would tool around, and he'd take me around to sweat lodges. And he said to me one day, we were planting a, a, a cottonwood tree in, a, near uh, the Ojai Foundation. He said, someday you're going to be a fine Sundancer. And I said, I have no idea what that is. But eventually, I got to meet the, the people that would be my teachers through these gatherings that we went to, to to promote this tape that we had recorded. And one of them was a gentleman by the name of Marcellus, William, Marcellus Williams. He was a Creek medicine man who lived, uh, born and raised in Oklahoma, but lived in Albuquerque at the time. And they were looking, him and several other elders were looking for young people outside of their communities that uh, would be willing to understand. They wanted students because they couldn't find them in their own communities. So we started a group in L.A. that uh, basically sponsored them. And every three months, for the better part of 20 years, we would get together with them and do something. Travel to New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, wherever they were working, we would do things. And eventually we got started fasting, vision questing. The first thing we did, then they taught us the sweat lines. And some of us eventually became sun dancers. And so we've been doing this for the better part of almost 38 years now that I've been doing this. So through music, through the drum, is how I got introduced to Native American teachings, you know. So, Well, we met, um, like I said, about f- it was almost five years ago, I think, is when we met. And I was, I was a wreck. I was a, it was a mess. And I met uh, Miguel through a mutual friend. She's like, you got to talk to uh, this guy named Miguel Rivera. So we met for lunch, and we started talking. He's like, why don't you come to one of these lodges? Why don't you come to one of these stone lodges? And and we'll, uh, you know, you know, you'll get to understand what's what the whole process is. And I thought, what's a stone lodge? I didn't, you know, I wasn't aware of what it was like, and I had no idea what to expect. And so I came up, and it was this beautiful place up in Malibu that you do the lodges at. And I drove up, and we were overlooking the, I think it's the Wright Ranch, and we're overlooking the the Pacific Ocean, and there's a medicine wheel that's on there, and. I, and they have a, a, a vase that the uh, Dalai Lama, one of his monks, had planted in the center of that wheel. And it radiates peace uh, through, from that center point. And we went into the lodge, and all these men were coming together, and it was just this beautiful ceremony of coming into the center of the earth, going back to the moment in time before creation began. And it was such a transformative experience. After I came out, it was just, I, I was born again. Um, Miguel, could you explain to the audience just a little bit about what the Stone Lodge is and what the ceremony symbolizes? And I, I've missed so much. Could you go into more depth with that, please? Sure. Uh, basically, what you're talking about is we call it the Stone People's Lodge or a Sweat Lodge ceremony. But the ceremony at its core is basically a, cer- a ceremony of renewing your relationship to the world around you. It's also a ritual of purification. What it is, we take stones in a fire and heat them up and bring them into this little dome-like structure and then pour water so it's over them to make steam. So it's basically a ceremonial steam bath. In that process, you recreate archetypally, mythologically, there are several beginnings. You return to the beginning of the universe. You go back to the beginning like a creation story that you talked about. Before anything was made, nothing was manifest. It was darkness. All creation.
creation stories in the world start the same way. There's nothing there. All of a sudden, the waters appear, fire appears, and all of a sudden, there's matter, and then there's life. Also, the lies reenacts conception. The stones become uh, a sperm, and, and the, 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 the dome itself of the lies becomes the egg. So when the stones go in, it reenacts conception. When you're inside, it's gestation, emerges, recreates birth. So we go back to, I'm very fond of saying it this way, we go back to the two different points of origin. The point of origin of the universe and the point of origin of the individuals that are present for the ceremony. So in case something happened from that time up until now that made you forget how sacred and how holy you were, we're going to go back there and, re and reconnect you with those energies of the beginning so that you can recalibrate the nervous system. One of the things that happens to us is that we forget. There's a very famous quote by uh, that's in a book <laughs> called Science and Sanity, and it says, God will forgive you for your sins, but your nervous system won't. <laughs> so, so for us, it's a way of beginning a recalibration of the nervous system because the body, through the events in our, in our life up to the point that, in which we are current, from the beginning of our life, usually there's a high level of disturbance or trauma in people's personal histories that makes us forget how special and how unique we are and how connected we are to the universe. One of the issues that to me faces uh, that we're faced with is alienation and disconnection to the world around us. Where I grew up, I was a mutt. I mean, I'm a, I'm a half-breed, really. I, my father was from Guatemala. He's mixed Spanish with a little bit of Indian in there. My mother was from the United States, but full-blood Polish, you know. So when I grew up in Guatemala, I never felt like I belonged there. Mm -hmm. I thought moving to the United States would be better when, when in fact, it was worse. So the, the level of disconnect that I've grown up with in my life up to that point before I started participating in the ceremonies was very deep. I went into this, first time I went into a sweat lodge, I actually felt home. And I realized, oh, <laughs> there's a connection here. And so I have to figure out how to, how, to, how to deepen that. So basically for me, it was a way of reconnecting. The lodge also is a, is a way of purifying. Your, uh, your, your organ technically is the largest, uh, your skin is the largest organ in the body. And so the easiest way for the body to eliminate toxins is to open up the pores and release them. So if you need to get rid of those things, boom, that's the fastest way to do it. So that's essentially how the lodge works. It's reconnecting and also purification. That's, those are two of the layers at which it works. Well, I, I, and I can attest to it. It is so powerful. My goodness, you, you go in there and, you're, and, you're, and you feel like you're in this sacred space. You are moving through it. You're sitting down there. You're going through the different uh, the chants and ceremonies. You're opening the different doors. You're, you're commingling. There's an opening. People would speak things that they hadn't been able to speak their whole lives in this place. They felt safe and sacred in it. And you connect to the stones. You connect to it. And even though it can be intense, when you come out of there, you literally feel like a different person. And, and, and there's a sense of community. And I think that is such yep. an important aspect of it because we are so disconnected from our communities today because we live in such a fast-paced lifestyle, trying to live in this market economy and making it enough to pay our bills and to go and pay our mortgages and, and getting our kids to school and doing all the things that you know our society has uh, created. And we lose touch with ourselves and our soul, and, and the lodge is such an amazing way to reconnect in that in those ways. Right. You know, and it's just important to, as well as people who are going through any kind of trauma, you know, that sense of being able to, you know, expurge those pains and those memories in a place that 
um, you know, people can re recognize you're going back to uh, before you were ever born, back to this original place. You get to rewrite the story. You get to reframe it. You get to put it in a different context. And which leads us to some of the things because, you know, we were just talking about earlier about this gentleman yesterday who I was talking to who was uh, a veteran who was uh, on the edge. He was on the edge. And there are some very deep societal, cultural, and collective issues that we're facing today that we're not facing. And I was wondering, Miguel, if you could talk to us a little bit about some of those things that you know and you're recognizing that of, the, of the deep societal, cultural, and, and uh, collective issues that we're facing today that we're not, we're, not, we're not dealing with, and how these Native American traditions can help us to reframe those experiences and to reconnect ourselves uh, to ourselves, to our families, and most importantly, to our communities and to nature? Well, um, it's a very complex question, and I want to try to address it and, uh, and, and from, a, from several directions at I once. I just wanted but, to give you a hard question, Miguel. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when you realize, like, for instance, uh, what's going on today in the, in the culture, we have high addiction rates, addiction to, to alcohol and drugs of any of many, many kinds, and suicide rates, right? Those are the two things that to me that are really serious and high, high levels of violence. What that speaks of is basically a disconnect at a, for individuals from their core, and they're not related to anything, so nothing uh, grounds them in any way, shape, or form. So for us, it's you have to reclaim or you have to resanctify the core of the individuals. Core work for me is not just a week of Pilates and a week of yoga, you know, with a couple with a lot of power drinks. But that means that actually you go back to the inside of your spirit, of your soul, and what happened. And most of us, when you realize, especially when we started, I started working with uh, at risk, what they call at risk youth, about 22 years ago in 1995, we started a group here in LA called Shade Tree. And we were dealing with kids that had been in and out of gangs and also did not want to be in gangs and just kids that were just struggling with life. You know, we realized, oh, this is important. And most of them had had some serious uh, 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 compromises in their home lives. And when you're talking about surviving a home life that's troubled, when you have alcoholism and violence in the house and any kind of abuse, you're going to have people that are not present in their lives. But how are you going to reclaim that? How are you going to resanctify the core of the individual? An individual is looking for some sort of uncompromised, unconditional love and protection. Where are you going to get it? If your parents cannot provide it, if your parents were never taught how to how to how to do that, it was never provided for them, and their parents were never taught it. it that was not provided for them. That's not in the lineage. So how do you do that? One of the teachings of the lodge is unconditional love and non-judgmental support. When you have love that's conditional and protection that's conditional, you most of the time you're never going to fulfill the requirements to to in order to receive that love and that protection. So the, the idea, the soul has to basically make deals with the body to protect it in order for it to survive. And it'll do all kinds of crazy things. At some point in time, you have to renegotiate. <laughs> the soul and the body have to renegotiate to get current. And if you have something that will allow you to re 
release those negative patterns or those patterns that allow you to survive. Sometimes they save your life, but as you grow older, they create damage. They could create damage to you. You know, they could prevent you from really being who you are. So one of the things that I'll, uh, that the ceremonies for me taught me is that they I can actually surrender and reclaim the sanctity of my spirit because I, I don't have to let go. I can let go of the fear that I had. I was dominated by fear. Most of us have a, a strong relationship uh, with trauma and violence in our lives. Most of the households that I, stories that I listen to for a long time, people have grown up with a lot of violence and addiction either to alcohol and or drugs in their lives. And how do you deal with that, you know? So you have to re-sanctify the core of the individual, and the ceremony allows us to do that through the songs and for the and through the, the different plants that we use in being with the water. So this allows us to deal to effectively deal with a, in, an environment. Like I had a woman, I ran a lodge last night. I had a woman who admitted that her mother had been raped when she was. So that that's the that's the size. <laughs> That's the beginning of her life is a rape, you know, but if that story never gets told, how are you going to feel uh, that you that you can be sanctified, you know? So it's really important to realize that the story that we carry has to be told somewhere in a safe environment. And because you're going to reveal it, you're not at risk. You know, I was um, when we started out, uh, one of our te- uh, somebody was threatening us, you know, making crazy demands on us. And so one of my teachers said, come out to New Mexico. I'll fix it for you. So we got into the lodge, and the first thing he said to us is, whatever's going to come after you is going to have to go through me first. Mm-hmm. I was 27 years old when I heard that, and, I had, and the, the level of comfort and uh, safety that I felt when that was uttered at me, and I was going, that's amazing. So every child, every from the time that you're conceived to the time that you leave the house, you should be able to know unconditionally that you will be loved and protected no matter what by your parents. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really hard to find that these days uh, uh, in the country, at least percentage-wise. So those, those, those are the kind of very simple things that the lodge or the ceremonies provide for us, a place to be unconditionally loved and protected without any, any uh, compromises to our souls. You know, mm-hmm. When I was working in the hospital, for my, my one of my jobs was to take the uh, information from the people that would come in, and it was a small enough place that would leave me alone there. <laughs> so I, I see the patients coming in, and have to get on the phone, call the doctor and the nurse. And so I had to stall anywhere from three to five minutes before they got there. So, and time and time again, I saw this: people will do terrible things to themselves in order to go somewhere where their souls would not be compromised, which is amazing to me. You know, hands in meat grinders, fish hooks in the ear, knife wounds, stab wounds car accidents, you name it, and you realize, oh, they're looking for a place to be safe where they won't be compromised. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting that you would have to go that way to, to get it. So Well, it's true. One. And it's, you know, even like with, uh, you know, the, the gentleman I was talking to yesterday, and it was just, it, there's a cry for help for people that just want to be able to know that, uh, one, that people care, and two, that there's a place where they can share their story in a meaningful way that they're not going to be shamed or someone's going to look down upon them or think that there's, there's something evil about them or that they're, they've just, you know, they're, they're crying for people to be able to see them in a way that helps them to overcome whatever pain is within them. And it's those secrets that we keep that keep us sick. And it could be generational. It could be in our family systems. It could be, I mean, in these things... You know, what we do today affects the seven generations that happen after us. And what we, when we heal ourselves today, we heal the seven generations before us. 
because yes. everything is yeah. interconnected. I mean, one of the beautiful things in, in this book that you gave me was the story about the home that she ended up buying and the trees, the maple trees that these, the, the first couple who planted those trees um, 200 years ago. And they planted them there. They had just gotten married. They were just uh, starting their new life. They were little trees, and now there were these big, massive trees, and they had no idea who the future people were going to be that were going to enjoy those trees yep. and, and, yep. And, and, and being able to build the tree houses and take the sap out in order to get the, um, you know, the, the sugar so that they could make maple syrup and all the joy. They had no idea what they were going to be passing on. And when people don't see that interconnectedness of life, how what we do to the earth, what we do to each other has effect. And when we think that just because I happened to get upset and yell at this person or I made a, I was emotionally abusive in this situation or I was uh, I experienced this trauma because I was trapped in war and they don't understand how these things, they affect everything around it. it it's like a pollution. It's like a poison. And if we're not cognizant of it, if we're blind to it, if we're not thinking clearly, we are the earth and everything around it is for our children. They, our children are lending it to us, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. And um, uh, it reminds me of uh, about 22 years ago, and in 1996, yeah, 22 years ago, I was in a pickle. I was in a bind. So I had to call a lawyer friend of mine, and I said, what do I do? And he goes, ah, let me think about it. So he called me back about three or four days later, and he goes, I got it. And he goes, it's called nunc protunc. And I said, what is that? And he said, this is Latin for now, for then. Now, for then. Mm -hmm. So uh, my second or third year sun dancing, the, the, when we were going to begin, as we were getting ready to go into the arbor, the intercessor for the sun dance said this. He said, you people could not do this with us when they first came over here 500 years ago. On their behalf, you're doing it now. So the purpose of uh, is, in, and so it's, it, that's, it took me years to understand it, but basically what we're doing is decolonializing ourselves, decolonializing the culture by participating in the ceremonies in this way, because we're doing the coming together of the cultures the way it ought to have been done all the way through history, you know? And so we have to relearn each other's ceremonies, each other's customs, each other's foods. Um, one of the elders that we sweated with years ago in the Owens Valley, his name was Raymond Stone. He said this, everything we are, everything, the way our songs are, our language, the way we dance, the way we make everything, the way we make jokes comes from the earth. If we ever forget, we have to go back to the earth and, and, and we have to return to the earth and the earth, the earth will, will tell us. So to me, it's a real important, it's a, it's a crazy enough thing that we've been here for enough generations through all the migration processes that the land is claiming us in one form or another, whether we want to or not. What used to be stones are now our bones. That's what I say. You know? mm -hmm. And so all the minerals in the land are now part of your bones. So in one form or another, you're going to get uh, informed and called to do something, whatever that is. You know? And so we have to decolonize by recreating the coming together of the cultures. And I've uh, and I've been to many parts of the world, and when we talk about this with some of the leaders and native people, that I that, and they go, yeah, that's right, you know, because this is the, this is the way it ought to have been done. Mm -hmm. But anyway, now for then means that we have to go recreate, and so that inheritance of of, of torture and maiming. We, we're, um, we're talking about the legacy that I have. For instance, my people, 
people from Spain and people from Guatemala, you have the Inquisition and all that, the conquest of Latin America. That's my inheritance. So those those ancestries are in my blood and my bones, and they're at each other's throats. So I had to decommission them and let them to get, bring him to the table and teach him how to love each other and sing with each other and eat, you know, dance with each other, pray with each other, so they can be at peace with that ancestry. So that's an important thing to recognize too: is how to do now for them, so that this 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 uh, trauma doesn't keep getting transmitted over the generations. So you so you basically you cannot erase the history, but you can change the emotional relationship to the events so that it brings closure to that. You know, and that's what I think. That's one of the one of the objects, one of the one of the goals of the work that we do is to undo ourselves from that from that layer of history not to deny it but to accept it for what it happens and then figure out how to get through it so that it doesn't keep getting repeated or passed on you know what's not necessary you know because there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things in there too so oh yeah there's no and it's uh, we we carry that wisdom when we can, when we are able to transform that suffering into wisdom we become the elders yeah. in the community we become those uh, that can yeah. pass that information on to those younger generations so that they become healthier and wiser and grow to, uh, you know, become more uh, just for everybody. Fairness for all, equality for all in those areas of life that is necessary because we all truly are one human family. Now, do you think, Miguel, that, you know, and I feel this in my heart, but I, and I just, I, I guess I'm asking this question just to get your, your opinion. Um, the, why is it so important for us to reconnect to the earth? Why is it so important for us to reconnect to Mother Nature? And I mean, I used to remember when I was a young kid looking and wondering if the trees talked to each other. I, I mean, I would wonder. I, I had this uh, kind of a dreamy quality about my personality. And I would wonder, and I would, I would wonder, you know, are the trees talking to each other? Or does, it, does that bird know what that bird's saying? Or, you know, and so have we lost that mystery? Have we lost that connection? And, and how can we reconnect to that? Well, we need it because we are part of it. It says in the book, you know, and, and it's part of us, and our legacy is all here, you know. And the the life is based on reciprocity, you know. If you don't give, how are you going to take? If you take and you don't give, then that that it's a one. It's not a one way street. Look at the the simplest way to look at it is whatever whatever we don't need, other 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 beings need. And the classic example that I use is basically that one of the waste products of plants is oxygen. One of our waste products is carbon dioxide. Plants need carbon dioxide in order to live. We need oxygen. So that reciprocity is there. So you have to have reciprocity with the world, not only with the physical world, but with the spirit world, as well as with the ancestral world. The spirit world needs us, needs us as much as we need it, you know. And so it's a constant feed. If you don't water a plant, the plant is going to die. <laughs> it's that simple. And we have to we have to acknowledge the fact that if we're, if we're going to take something, we have to give something back. So it's a mutual relationship. You know, if you don't feed something or nurture it, it's never going to it's not going to return. And it's also basically going from linear to circular thinking, too. You know, and it's about participation. I went to uh, this concept of reciprocity is practiced in many countries all over the world. In the United States, for instance, like Thanksgiving is relegated to one crazy afternoon on Thursdays at the end of uh, November. And once a year is gratitude. I'm going, gratitude should be practiced every day as many times as possible, you know. With gratitude, 
uh, it creates it. Some people, some people will say gratitude creates abundance, and it also creates relationship. So it's healthy for us to practice gratitude because if you don't know what you have, how do you know what you need? So gratitude is about recognizing what you already have anyway. So you, what you, what you, what you might be looking for, you already have it. It's just you haven't been able to, to enact it. And if it's not generated from within, chances are you're not going to find it outside. You know, mm-hmm. so that's important too. Well, you know, it is, and it's important to bring those that kind of respect and reverence for the earth and for the peoples. My goodness, we got to, I didn't realize this conversation. I love it. Miguel, I've got to move a little bit farther ahead. Yeah. Well, uh, and it is so important, that reciprocity. It's so important just to give thanks every day just for the life that you have and for for the giving and, the re, you know, the, the communication that is happening all around us through nature. By having that kind of reverence for nature, we won't treat it as if it's just something that we need to pull natural resources from. We'll look at it in a completely different way. We'll be seeing that this is the, there is a symbiotic relationship here that is necessary to keep in balance and keep in harmony. If the earth is in balance and harmony, we'll be in a balance and harmony. And it seems to me that that is such an important aspect. Why do you think it's important to reinstitute rites of passages for youths? You know, and getting people to understand and help to give that connection. Because you have an organization, the Western Gates, excuse me, the Western Gates Roots and Wings Foundation, that bringing back rites of passages to the youth. And is this something that we're missing in our, in our world? Have we forgotten it? And what's, why is it necessary? Well, there's a couple of things. One of them is that the way rites of passage or initiation exists now is somewhat perfunctory. And so one of the one of the things that it teaches us, it teaches us how to be, especially for men. Men need to be taught how to be responsible for life because they don't have the biology that, that that kicks in at a certain age that tells you you're participating in the cycles of life. Also, one of the things that it does is it allows you to feel connected to the world. Life to me is a succession of wombs: the womb of the mother, the womb of the house, and eventually the world will become your womb. One of the one of the experiences that I had when I was sun dancing is I felt like my umbilicus. I remember thinking, wow, I, I could not feel, I was trying to figure, understand the experience. It took me years afterwards, but I realized one of the things that happens to us, one of the first things after we pierce through the amniotic sac is our umbilicus gets cut. So you're not connected to the mother anymore. In Sundance, one of the things that happened to me is my umbilicus was connected, reconnected again to the, the tree of life or the placenta of the world. So I was going, wow. So initiation is a way, it's a transference from the physical parents, physical mother in particular, and physical mother, physical father, physical mother, to the universal mother and the universal father. And so the world becomes basically your home. So it's a way of introducing you to the larger aspects of, of your parents, right? So that to me is a huge event that, that, that doesn't get necessarily uh, stressed here in the culture and the rituals that we have that are currently active in the culture. And initiation is a, is a cooking process. Most of us get our experience by being wounded, by getting traumatic experiences. And trauma cannot, it, it will create the growth that you need, but you should be cooked and not wounded in order to, to get to the changes that you need. One of the reasons why kids join gangs or why they join the military is because they need a process to cook them properly, to propel them to the next stage of development in their lives, you know. And the military and the gangs, basically, they fulfill the lack of strong enough uh, medicine societies in the culture. 
So you have to redirect or in a way complete because they're incomplete initi initiatory processes. But the main thing is being taught how to how to be responsible for life for men and also how to participate and how to be a protector of life also in that way and to connect you with the world around you. One of the things is that we were taught and when we were Sundancing and Vision Questing is that you're going to go out and introduce yourselves to your relatives and your relatives are going to come and introduce themselves to you. All of it and everything is related. So to us, there is no us and them. It's all us. That's one of the things that I've learned from the ceremonies. And in that sense, this is a very strange and big family. Like any family reunion that you go to, you got a lot of strange-looking relatives there, strange aunties, uncles, cousins. And you go, oh, my God, that's my family. And you say, yes, that's my family. But, however, they have a lot of cool information they can share with you. So that's why it's important. And I think that the kids need initiation. But you cannot have initiation without adults and without elders. So you have a whole that's necessary for a lot of and I've been in many ceremonies over the years where the guys even though they look my age and they talk like my age they're still 4 years old, 10 years old 12 years old and they're acting like it you know you see it now look at, look at how it's modeled basically in our government it's a good example of basically immature adults you know mm -hmm. immature men running the world you know and I'm going ooh <laughs> this could lead to a lot of problems so anyway that's one the necessity for an education well, and, and it is. It is absolute because it, 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 it helps you to make that transition so that you recognize for men and, and, and women, too. But it, it's it's the sense that I'm no longer a boy. <laughs> I yeah. have moved into the adult world. I no longer yeah. should be carrying these boy immature psychologies, these, these immature energies. I need to move into being uh, responsible and nurturing and providing and guiding and uh, teaching and you know protecting those kinds of things that are that uh, a, a good healthy uh, male energy is all about and yeah. you need those rites of passages to help men to be able to make it through and you need those rites of passages for women as well yeah. and it's just but we if we if the culture is not supporting it then you have what seems like a lot of boy men <laughs> you know they're they're men but they're boys or you know girl women they have immature energies and they still acting like you know they're they're in high school and yet they haven't matured into a place where they can really be uh, an embrace them the mother figure and so you have a lot of these problems psychologically and i think it creates uh, a lot of the dysfunctional relationships that we had on top of all the unprocessed traumas that we collect not only from our families but from our from our society so yeah. Uh, want to uh, bring it because we're coming closer to the end. I want to be. I know you wrote a, a, a book, and I want to make sure that everybody here knows. Uh, you were in 2001. You co collaborated with Robert Bly and translated a whole book of English collection of the poetry of Umberto Acabal. Did I yes, say that right? Umberto Acabal and the yeah. poems I brought from the mountain. And I would love if you could uh, share a little bit of the poems. And then, uh, you know, uh, how people of a Judeo-Christian background can be able to uh, bring these uh, rituals and ceremonies alive in their lives so that they're not threatened by them and that they can be how to augment their lives. And then if we could do a little sacred chant at the end here, I think that would be fantastic, Miguel. Sure. Um, let me see. I'll start with uh, the poetry first. In 1995, we were in Guatemala for Christmas with my wife and I and celebrating. I wanted to her to hang out with my family down there. So my sister gave me a copy of Umberto, one of Umberto's books in, in Spanish called Guardian de la Caída de Agua. 
which is the, the guardian, the protector of the waterfall. So I started reading the book, and immediately I was transported to some other world that, that I remembered from my youth. And I was going, this is incredible, because it's a way to get in there without feeling all the anxiety and the pain and the resentment and the racism that exists in Guatemala up to that point. And so I started reading his poems, and it was totally blew my mind. On the fly, I would take the, the book to the retreats that we were doing, because I was working a lot with Robert at the time. And I would just read him, and he got the idea that we should just say, hey, let's just, let's just do a book out of all this. So eventually we got some of the guys in the conference, the, or the retreat, to send in copies. So between all of us, basically, we got the book out because we feel it's a very incredible contribution to the culture of the world uh, to have his poetry. And his poetry is basically what they call poetry of counter-conquest, contra-conquista, which means we're redoing, undoing ourselves from the impacts of the colonialization of the world or the global conquest of the world by the Europeans. One of the facts, you know. So I'll share one of the poems that he, that he has, which is one of my favorites, and it is called Freedom, Libertad. Sanates, sopes y paloman, palomas separan sobre catedrales y palacios tan igual como separan sobre árboles, piedras y corrales y se cagan sobre ellos con la libertad de quien sabe que la, la, la libertad y la paz se llevan en el alma. It says, this is called freedom. Blackbirds, buzzards, and doves land on cathedrals and palaces just as they do on rocks, trees, and fences, and they shit on them with the complete freedom of one who knows that liberty and justice are carried in the soul. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so I'll give you another one, and I'll read this one. Uh, I'll read this one in the three languages, so you can hear it in Quiche, Spanish, and then uh, in, in in English. Okay. Jujum ruktak rikanonoch, kasa kirisanik, riki kutihri mayul risuts, kuchabrit zahanem. Amanece. El sol se come la neblina y empieza a pintar. Caminos, árboles, casitas, animales, gentes. Y a cada uno le pone sombra. Each one with a shadow. Daybreak. The sun eats the fog and begins to paint roads, trees, houses, animals, people, and to each one he gives a shadow. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give you the, uh, there's one more that I think is really important. So fantastic. Las flores, the flowers. Las raíces nos mandan a contar por medio de las flores como la tierra es por dentro. Y aquí las flores se marchitan, se mueren porque la vida es una mierda. The roots tell us, it's called, the, the name of the poem is The Flowers. Roots tell us through the flowers what the earth is like on the inside. And here the flowers, they wither, they die because life here is shit. <laughs> But to me this is a very critical poem because it shows you how we are each one of us individually is connected to spirit yeah. roots tell us through the flowers what the earth is like on the inside to me that's uh you can go out for miles and years and think about what the depth of what that thought is you know yeah. and you realize hey 
we all have a connection to spirit in some form or another to the void, the original primordial energy. So the, the only way it's going to work for us is when we all come together from our own connection to spirit and put it all together and recreate that wheel. That's what that wheel means, yeah. you know. So the sense is to recreate the wheel with all of us representing from our root to spirit and making it all work without having to force anybody else to do what we do or how we do it, mm -hmm. but sharing, yeah. you know, whatever aspects of the culture is. So that's really important. Now, the next, what, what was the next part of uh, part well, the, two of the question? <laughs> part, part three. <laughs> <laughs> well, part two, no, I don't, I, I just, I mean, I remember you saying about the the roots of the flowers, talk about the, what is it again? The, uh, yeah. the, the, the Roots tell us through their flowers what the earth is like on the inside. Oh, my so. gosh. And the roots of the, tell us what the flowers are like on the inside. That is so incredible. That is, yeah. like, one of the most profound things that if people really sit with that and just take that yeah. that is just wisdom beyond wisdom and uh, yeah. the second part was and you know just real quickly because we've got about uh, you know maybe 10 minutes left here um, just a real quick about how people from uh, you know the, the native traditions are so rich and in how can people incorporate this and include this if they come from a Judeo-Christian background? They may say, oh, I'm afraid of this. I don't want to deal, deal with this. How can they be embrace it in, in a way that gives them the richness and the beauty and the sanctity of it and allows them to uh, be blessed by these indigenous words that only truly uh, bring blessings into their lives? I don't think, I think uh, Native, most, from what I understand, and this is, you know, I, I grew up a Catholic, you know, mm -hmm. and so my experience, my first experience, direct experience with spirit happened on a Holy Friday, right? In Latin America, Good Friday is like a very serious, they reenact the whole crucifixion of Christ and the death of Christ and everything. So one time we were on Good Friday masses when the rainy season starts generally in Guatemala. And that year, I remember a massive thunder and lightning storm, you know, all the electricity went out on the church. So all you would see from time to, besides the candles on the altar were there was there was in the in the domes of the church the cupolas there's these little windows so as the rain hits and everything thunders going you know the lightning bolts would come and so through the incense in the church and the smoke these beams of clear white sharp light were be coming into the church from different directions you know so I was going wow and this became it was such such a stroboscopic effect I was totally hypnotized and I started trancing out I was maybe seven or eight years old or something like that and I realized there's something much larger and bigger about spirit than just what's inside of this church so that led me to believe that hey something that we don't even understand and the church is might it might be a part of it but it's only a small part of it so everything that's native is not intended to conflict or to replace what you already know but to add to it and to expand it and to complement it so that means in case we forgot something or there's something doesn't know how to do something here this is a way to do this how to reconnect the dots so we're, all we're doing is connecting the dots now by participating in ceremony and the main thing is that it teaches us how not to be um alienated against each other or fighting with each other all the time but how, not also how to be connected to the land that we live in the lands that we live in how to be friends with all the elements that's mm -hmm. what's important uh, i couldn't have said it better that's <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it is and you know on the, yeah. on the show i did the last time we were just talking about some of the themes of these different spiritual traditions and what underlies all of them is this sense of 
compassion, of brotherhood, of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if we could connect to those things, if we could link up with those things, all our differences would fall away. We could be able to sit at the same table and just talk about what it means to be human. And to share and to, and to be able to embrace all that wisdom. And maybe you have something that I didn't know about. And maybe if I listen exactly. to it, I can maybe, oh, that could really, that I, and you get some more clarity. Then you get new perspective and new understandings. And it's just embracing and instead of just locking ourselves up into one way. And by doing that, I think we miss out on this idea of, re, you know, really connecting to where we live, which is this earth. <laughs> and yeah. all the inhabitants who live on this earth. And it's just it really important that when because a returning to the earth is really a return to us. It's being exactly. us living in yeah. harmony. It's us living with nature. It's us living in harmony with the entire universe and the creator who created all these different pathways to God and all these different pathways to help us to, to, to be in, embrace one another and love one another and, and, and hold each other in, in, uh, in reverence. And to understand the cycles of life and to have that respect for the mother of us all, which is the earth. And we come together in concord, justice, peace, and unity. Miguel, could you, we have just about five minutes left. Could you give this audience uh, a song, a song from the native traditions, um, just as a blessing to all peoples all around the world? Because we're broadcasting. I need to do a quick announcement. We are broadcasting this amazing show uh, with this amazing guest, Miguel, on KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com, uh, broadcasting some of the best music uh, shows, uh, not only in, in Colorado, but all across the world. We are touching lives all over. And just on this show alone, we are reaching between about fifty-five and 70,000 people. I want to thank all of you who tune in. And it's just without you, this show wouldn't be possible. And just thank you for tuning in. It's really an honor to be here. Uh, and to share this with all of you. Miguel, could you okay. go ahead? This is a prayer. This is one of Humberto's. I've been working on another book of Humberto, so this is a part of the new volume, but it says, La Respuesta. Abrir la tierra con las manos, llenarse con su aroma, levantar la cara al cielo y comer el viento, eso es la paz, contestó la abuela. The answer to open up the earth with your hands, get filled with its scent, raise your face to the sky and eat the wind, that is peace, the grandmother answered. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh my so I'm going to sing to you a song now that comes also from Guatemala that was taught to me by Humberto, too. And it's basically to take all the sadness out of your bones. Take it out completely. Take it out. Ah, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. 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 Thank you. 
thank you, so, thank you much. so much and i thank to your audience for listening to my blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a really good blah 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 i think and uh <laughs> really I, I hope we could do this again sometime here very shortly and come back and even go even deeper into it and some of the you know touching even deeper into the, some of the mysteries of the earth that i think people uh, don't understand and so there's a lot to talk about. I mean, I had a lot, I had prepared actually. I did. I come. I came well prepared, but the questions went a whole different track. But that's okay. You know, I like I like the way this is. is you know, so you it's know. it's the nature of shows. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you so much. I want to re- leave you with this uh, thing here. Just it's a it's an ancient Indian proverb. Treat the earth well. It was not given to you by your parents. It was loaned to you by your children. We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. Take this wisdom, folks. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, We will be back in two weeks. Uh, Stay tuned. Uh, The announcement will be going out next week on what the show will be about. And um, just want to thank you all again for tuning in. Without you, the show wouldn't be possible. Uh, May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. Uh, God bless you and all of you do. And and, uh, we will see you here in another couple weeks. Thank you again. I'm Charlie Pacello, and the council is adjourned. Have a wonderful weekend, folks. Thank you. So, folks, we're just about, we're tuning out. We have the international camera that's still going on. And I hope you were able to glean some of just just a fraction of the wisdom that was able to be shared on this show today. Uh, there are so many things that the indigenous tribes can teach us. And if we have the ears to listen and the spirit of patience and understanding, we can really, really transform this world. And so I hope you carry that with you all around the world who's tuned in and listened in. From every continent um, on this planet, maybe except for Antarctica, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back on the council in two weeks. May you be well. God bless you all. Can you keep him on? I'm going to try something mm-hmm. so I can see if I can get a better sound for this background case. Just keep going. Do you mind staying on just for just a second, uh, uh, Miguel? Real quick. He wants to test something on the sound. Okay. Yep. So yeah, I had. You know what I did is I brought. Um, there's a, there's a couple of really interesting accounts. Have you ever read about Red Jacket, Chief Red Jacket? No. He was great because he got basically he got cornered by a bunch of missionaries wanting to you know to convert to Christianity. He says, you know what? You people are the ones that you need this stuff. We don't we don't treat each other that way. You know. So and then there's another. <laughs> Oh, I know. It's uh, is this recording still?
Are we done recording? Hold on just a second. It, it has already.